0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible study tonight. So glad to be here with you. We're continuing our study entitled Living from the New Heart. Over the past three weeks, uh, we have talked about how God has invited us to live from the new heart, and we can live from our new heart confidently because God lives in. Our new heart. We can live from it because He lives in it. Last week we talked about how that heart that He lives in is a perfect heart. He doesn't do anything halfway. God is perfect and everything He does is perfect. And so He has perfected your new heart. And tonight we're going to talk about how. Not only is your new heart perfect, but your new self is perfect. We talked about the idea last week, and I said it was a bad idea. Some people have this idea that when God looks at them, he sees Jesus. Nothing in the scripture suggests that. When God sees us, he sees us. He sees the workmanship of Christ. Remember Ephesians 2.10? We are the workmanship of Christ Jesus, created in him to do good works. We are the righteousness of Christ. He is our source and our sufficiency. But when God looks at us, he sees us because he loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Not so that we could stay the way we were, but so that he could change us. And so he doesn't see the old us. He doesn't see Jesus. He sees the new us, the new self, the perfect self that he has made. Take your Bibles, open to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14. That's where we'll jump in from. As you can see on your handout, we um, are going to be all over the Bible tonight which is good, but we'll start at Hebrews chapter 10, 11 to 14. We'll read it, and then I'll make a couple comments, and then we'll go through our handout. I'm from the New King James tonight. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, look at this, which can never take away sins. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified." Of course the book of Hebrews is all about the types and shadows of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ. And so the Hebrew writer here is referring to the old covenant priesthood when he says every priest. He's talking about how Jesus is a better priest than the Old Testament priests that were just a type and a shadow and a foreshadow Of Christ our great high priest he says every priest stands ministering daily if you were a priest if you were from the tribe of Levi under the old covenant you were a a priest and you, you served in the temple and you had to stand while you were serving in the temple you could not sit down of all the pieces of furniture that God ordained for the temple What's one piece of furniture he did not ordain? A chair. The priests could not sit down. The worshipers could not sit down. They had to stand. That's significant. Because when Jesus offers one sacrifice forever, not sacrifices over and over daily, but one sacrifice forever, what's the first thing he does? He sits down. God seats him. Why does he seat him, Julius? Because it's finished, the work is done. The priest's work in the Old Covenant was never done. The sacrifices were daily, every day. Priests offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. Christ offers one sacrifice himself and sits down, because it's over. It's done. That's why the Hebrew writer says it's a He's a better sacrifice, and he's a better priest. And then verse 14 is our text, or our theme verse for tonight. It says, for by one offering he has perfected. When we're talking about living from the new heart, the perfect heart, and tonight we're talking about the perfect self, that's where I'm getting this word. I'm not using a word the Bible doesn't use to describe you. The Bible describes you this way. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's you. You're being sanctified. You're being set apart for salvation. So he has perfected us because he is perfect. You are a holy Righteous and blameless vessel for God to live in. That is a a prepositional statement about you. It's definitive. That is who you are. These are statements that God makes about himself and makes about you. And can I say that if God says it about you, that's it, it's final. I mean, if you can't believe God, then who can you believe? No one. Oftentimes we believe what the devil says about us more readily than we believe what God says about us. God tells us that we are perfected, that we are holy, that we are set apart, that we are righteous, and that we are blameless, and that he lives in us. You are not trash. You are a temple. You are not trash. You are a temple. Satan lies to you and calls you trash. He tells you you are no good rotten sinner. But that's not what God calls you. He calls you his temple. Let's go to Ephesians 5.27. Actually, go back to twenty-five. Hebrews 5.25. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why did he give himself for her? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, perfect her, and cleanse her with the washing of the word, or sorry, washing of water by the word. And look at verse 27 then. He gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, and he sanctified her, why? So that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, But that she should be holy and without blemish. That's not your work, to be holy and without blemish. You couldn't make yourself that way. I couldn't make myself that way, ever. Jesus did it. He gave Himself to sanctify us, He sanctified us so that He could present us to Himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, holy. And without blemish. You're not trash. You're sanctified by Jesus through his death. And you will be presented to him glorious on that day without blemish. And then go back a couple of books to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor adulterers. Uh, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this. Verse 11. And such were, past tense, some of you, but you have been washed. And you are sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. Now, you can... Read through lists like that in the New Testament, and you can see some of your behaviors there. But I want you to know that you don't see yourself there. That's not who you are anymore. You might have been that person. And at times, you still may do those things. I hope you don't. That list in particular is a really bad one. But even if, even if you are not that person anymore, if you want to do those things and get better at those things that I just listed off there that Paul lists, then I'm not sure you took Jesus yet. You might have tasted and seen that he is good, but you might not have taken the whole meal. But listen, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. They were, as he calls them in the first chapter, saints of God. And he has to deal with these behaviors that are going on in the church. The behavior, or the list of behaviors that I just read to you, those things were going on in the Corinthian church. That's why I call them the messed up church. They were messed up. And yet, Paul still calls them saints of God, but he also tells them if you continue in that and practice that, you haven't taken Jesus yet. But if you have taken him, such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, set apart, justified in his name. So stop doing those things because it's not who you are anymore. So you're not trash, you're a temple, you're washed In the blood of the Lamb, sanctified, set apart. Some of you might ask, but aren't we still sinners? Paul called himself the foremost sinner. He was uh, talking to or writing to young Pastor Timothy when he said that. If you'd like, you can turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 16. We'll just read it. Because I want you to uh, understand what what Paul is saying here to Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 16. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. So here we have two tense. We have some past tense and some present tense. I thank Christ that he enabled me And that he counted me faithful and has put me into ministry. Now look at this. He goes back to past tense. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. Look at this. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul's switching between tents back and forth. And he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. The reason why he's bringing that up is to show that he was real bad and God was real patient and real gracious to save him. And if God could save Paul, who was Saul, then he can save anyone. You are not a sinner anymore. We are believers now. Which means we are not sinners by nature. That's key. We are saints who sometimes sin, but we are not sinners. That's not our identity. We are not sinners. We are saints. And at times we sin. You see, by nature we are upright and godly because we are upright and godly from the heart. We still have the old hands, we still have the old head. We still think the way we used to think sometimes. We still do the things we used to do sometimes. But that's not who we are. And the more we realize that that's not who we are, the less we will want to do and think the things we used to do and think. God does not define us by our behavior. He defines us by Christ's finished work. He calls us his children, and he means it. He really means it. See what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called sons of God, daughters of God, and that's what we are, John said. He calls us his children, and he means it. So, are we still sinners? No. We are saints who sometimes sin, but as we follow Jesus more and more, we will sin less, because that's what we want. If we were defined by our past performance, There wouldn't be much motivation to keep going. That's why Jesus made a way for us to be righteous by birth. Let's read that, 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been reconciled, and now we're called to help others come to that same reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, again, Paul's reminding the Corinthian church, and by extension, he's reminding us tonight this is who we are. We've been reconciled to God. We are in him. We are a new creation. We're born again. We're not who we used to be. We've been reconciled. We were separated. But now we've been brought near. That severed relationship has been made whole again. And now we can be ambassadors for Christ to the world. Our motivation uh, for doing this is Christ's obedience to the Father on our behalf. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. We needed someone to wash that away, to cancel that debt, to set the record straight. And so Jesus does that for us. What a self-giving God. What a loving God, compassionate and gracious. He doesn't impute our sins toward us, the, the text says, but as we'll learn in a moment, he actually imputes or gives righteousness to us. What we deserved was to pay for our sin. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus pays the wages. So do the math and celebrate. There's no more debt. And that's what motivates us then to live upright, godly lives so that we might be an ambassador for Christ, so that he might receive more reward for his suffering. Who for the joy set before him, right? Jesus endured the cross... So we are the reward of that suffering. He deserves more reward. So we are motivated by that wonderful truth. So question, imputed or imparted? Maybe you've never heard these words before. Or maybe you think they mean the same thing. They don't. Let's talk about it. Is our righteousness imputed or is it imparted? Is our present righteousness credited that's what imputed means credited is it credited to us while we wait for our full salvation to be revealed remember the theme verse for our first peter series set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you at the return of christ the grace that's to be revealed to us is the fullness of our salvation when we receive our glorified bodies And we are united with God in heaven forever. That's the fullness of our salvation. So is that salvation just credited to us while we wait for the fullness of it to be revealed? Or has God actually transformed us? Has he imparted it to us? Has he given it to us by way of transformation? Has he already transformed us in some way, causing us to actually be righteous by nature? Well, the answer is yes, or both and. God has imputed or credited righteousness to us, and he has actually transformed us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 We did just read it, but let me remind you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, transformed, brand new. We talked last week about how this new creation is totally redesigned. We're not who we were, we are something completely different, redesigned, re engineered to house God and to be his righteousness in the world. Romans chapter 4, 3 to 6. So, this is talking about imputation, all right? Or being credited with something. For what does the scripture say, verse 3? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was accredited, it was imputed to him. Not to him who works. The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. What's Paul saying to the Romans here? He's talking about works. Remember our opening text, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 11 to 14. Uh, He talks of the sacrifices that could never take away sin, this offering of sacrifice that could never take away sin. Elsewhere in Hebrews and elsewhere throughout the New Testament, we hear that the works of the law can never justify a person. Ever. So that's what he's talking about. The one who does the works of the law, well, the wages that they earn from that are not grace, but debt. Trying to work your salvation Or trying to earn your salvation through works of the law is like digging yourself into a deeper hole. Or trying to dig your way out of a hole. You can't do it. You'll just acquire more and more debt. Because from the law comes the knowledge of sin only. So the more you try to keep it, the more you break it. And it's a ministry of death and condemnation. You keep digging yourself further into this hole. But look at this. To him who does not work, but believes for salvation, he is justified, and his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin So yeah, righteousness is imputed. Even that whole idea we just talked about of he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. There's imputation there, something we didn't earn, but we receive by faith. We get it. It's accredited to us. How many of you, you've, you've had a full day's work. You've been out in the garden or you've been out in the shed under the, under the hood of the car and you, you got dirty. You got dirt all over your face and hands. And the day's work was done. You came into the house And you you went to the washroom. You looked in the mirror, and you thought, "Oh my goodness, look how look how filthy I am." We've all done that, right? How many of us have ever taken the mirror off the wall to wash ourselves with? None of us. That's what trying to keep the law would be like. It would be like taking the mirror off the wall to wash ourselves with. It's impossible. What we have to do is get a cleansing agent. We have to turn on the tap. We have to take the soap so that we can get the dirt off. Well, what's the cleansing agent for sin? The blood of Jesus. The law shows us you are dirty with sin. Now, here's the cleansing agent, Jesus. So Jesus, then, actually cleanses us. Uh, We are justified just as if we'd never sinned because he has washed us. So I want you to know tonight that you are not a sinner. You are a saint. You are a saint because God's righteousness has both been imputed or credited to you. You didn't earn it. God wanted you to have it, so he, he gave it to you. But not only did he give it to you, while you wait, he actually transforms you by washing you. He actually makes you righteous. You are made righteous. Uh, Romans 5, in Romans 5, rather, Paul talks about that. He talks about being made sinners and being made righteous when he talks about Adam and Christ. He says that uh, in Adam all die. In Adam all were made sinners, but in Christ all live, and all are made righteous. Uh, Look at verse 19 of Romans chapter 5. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, God didn't create sinners. Adam's disobedience made sinners of us all. By his one disobedience all were made sinners, but I love this. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This is a great verse that refutes universal salvation. That everyone saved because Christ died. Now everyone could be saved. There was enough blood for everyone to be saved. But only those who choose him, who take him, will be saved. So by one man's obedience, many will be. When Paul writes the book of Romans, Jesus already died. He's not writing before Jesus died saying many will be saved when he dies or all will be um, made righteous when he dies. No, he's writing this after Jesus dies. So there's still choice. There's still will. People have to choose. Whosoever will, will be made righteous. By grace, through faith. But you say to me, Pastor Matt, there are days when I don't feel righteous. And can I just say, I don't care that you don't feel righteous. I mean, yes I do. I love you. I know the feeling. There's lots of days when I don't feel it. There's lots of days, I'm sure, when my wife doesn't feel infatuated with me. I'm sure there's many days when, you know, she doesn't feel in love with me. But guess what? She made a vow. She wears my ring. She lives in my home. We made a covenant together. And our relationship with God is compared to a marriage relationship. And sometimes we don't feel close to God. Sometimes we don't feel righteous. But our righteousness is not a feeling. It's a fact. And we must know it before we will ever feel it. People try to to feel it and then build their knowing off of the feeling. But that's backwards. That's building truth off of your experience and your feelings. You can't do that. You've got to uh, build your experiences and feelings off of truth. And so experiences and feelings are amazing, but you've got to build them on truth. Romans 6, 1 to 3. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's a reality. That's a fact. If you're a believer in Christ, you died to sin. Betty and I were talking about this before Bible study. We don't die to sin every day either. We died to sin. How many deaths did Christ die? One. The Bible says we share in a death like his. One. So that we can share in his resurrection. Christ took up one cross and died one death. The same is true of you. You took up your cross. You followed Jesus to the place of death and you got on that cross and you shared in his death you said I don't want to live for me anymore I surrender my will, my ambitions, my hopes, my plans to Jesus and you died to self that day you don't take up another cross tomorrow you don't die to self tomorrow when Paul says that he dies daily he's referring to Uh, the threat of death that he lives under every day for preaching the gospel. He's not talking about dying to self daily or taking up a cross daily. We take up one cross. Jesus took up one. We die one death to self because Jesus died once. But what, what do we do daily? The scripture tells us. Put to death that which is earthly in you. Where is it earthly in you? In your heart? No. In your mind, in your members, in your head, and in your hands. That's where the stuff that's earthly in you still is. Put that to death. Just remember that your old self died once on that cross that you took up to follow Jesus. That was a tangent. Now I'm back. This fact that we are um, dead to sin. Oh, let me keep reading. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. We are dead to sin. How shall we live any longer in it? Verse 3. Or do you not know? Again, know, know, know. That as many of us that are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And then I just talked about that. If we were buried with him, we were raised with him, and we're raised to newness of life. This fact that we are dead to sin and raised to newness of life is what motivates our continued obedience. New creations and slaves to righteousness can't even think about continuing in sin. That doesn't mean we'll never sin again. That doesn't mean you'll never be tempted again. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is you're never going to consider going back to that old life because there's nothing back there. And maybe you tried to go back once or twice and you realized, man, I keep going back there and there is nothing there. That's why I say we we eventually get to the place where we don't even think about going back. As hard as it is to go forward, it's that much harder to go back. We have power to go forward. We have no power going backward. Okay, so conclusion. Perfect God, perfect you. This is a reality. You can't claim to be born again, born of God, but say that you're not really righteous. You know that phrase that we often say, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just, just understand that you can say that one time. At the moment of your conversion, you can say, right now, I am am a sinner saved by grace. From that moment, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint saved by grace. You are made righteous. You really are. It's a contradiction to say you're born again and a sinner. can't do it. Our new birth is a transformation that happens at the core of our being, which is our heart. Because of our rebirth, we have new spiritual DNA, as it were. We're totally redesigned, born again. And as as, uh, Paul says, we are partakers of God's divine nature. We don't have a divine nature. We have a new nature, but we don't have a divine one. Only God is God. But we partake of it. We partake of it. We consume it, and it consumes us. God, the giver of every good gift, has given you your new-hearted self, the perfect you. The perfect you. You think about that. Amen. Amen.